Who the bloody hell's that? Morning, Ange. Oh, Anthony. How are we? I'm really well. How are you? <laughs> Come on in. I will do. Thank you. Did that sound staged? Just a little. No, it's fine. fine. Yeah. I'm going to embrace the whole lounge pant thing next time. I'm going to put my University of New Hampshire lounge pants on. You should indeed. You're listening to the Corona Diaries, a sometimes random and often irreverent attempt to understand the psyche of singer Steve Hogarth. Hello and welcome to chapter 127 of the Corona Diaries. Lord, that's loads, isn't it now? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, a bloke told me he'd had. It, it, thank you for his birthday card. His third, so, third. Uh, yeah, somehow, how's that possible? Maybe I sent him one before I started sending them. Who can no. say? Well, no, because we started. We must have started around March time. We've had three marches, haven't we? Have we? We've had three marches. No wonder we're tired. Yeah. That, yeah, that'd be about right. Some people be getting their third now. Third birthday card from you. Go figure. It's more mm. than I ever had out of anybody. Yeah, actually. <laughs> no, to be fair, my sisters have probably sent me more than three over the 66 years I've known them. Yeah, four or five, maybe. Yeah. On the subject of your sisters, it was lovely to see our Sue the other day. Oh, did you see us? Yes, in York, of course. No, no Sheffield. Sheffield. Sheffield City Hall, yeah. Mm. We yeah, sat next yeah. to her. Did you? Hmm. Oh, lovely. Yeah. Very nice. She's a, she's a top girl. Oh, um, absolutely. We didn't get long to chat because I think she'd got work the next day. So she, well, just she did say that. And waved and... Yeah, she said that when we sat down. She said, I can't believe, can't believe he's organised this on a school night. No, tardy. Well, I mm. haven't organised it. It was the promoters. I just turn up. You know, if it was if I was organising it, things would be very different. Very different, wouldn't yes. they? Yes, yes. It'd be one day on and seven off for a kickoff. <laughs> How does one day on and seven off work what? as a working week? <laughs> I mean, you like the opposite of something godlike, aren't you? Six days on and one day off. You're like one day. Yes, that just be one day on in I don't know Sheffield City Hall and seven days off in Antibes. If I was, uh, if you were running it, it. yes. Well, it sounds like a sound financial model. What could possibly go wrong? (laughs) One of my, you know, one day on in I don't know Paris and another seven off in the Algarve. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, yeah. I'm not convinced it's going to fly, but I can see it. Uh, we've had a lot of um, we've had a lot of positive commentary about our our cafe episode. Oh, you know, it seems like the the more shit we are, <laughs> the more kind of vibed up everybody yeah. gets, which is lovely, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, gives us lots of room. Yeah, for, we're gonna... uh, getting even worse. We're gonna have to be really awful one week. <laughs> we're gonna have to do one. In a steelworks, <laughs> where we just mumble at each other. <laughs> Maybe we should get arrested. Do one from the cells. <laughs> no slamming, people screaming in the background. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Violence and the sound of vomit. Yes. Brilliant. Uh, everybody was also quite concerned about Vera's back. We could do one where we don't talk and just, just <laughs> do Morse, Morse messages with mugs against walls. Oh, now, ten, hang on. Ten mugs against walls. Hang, the Shawshank episode. <laughs> the Shawshank. <laughs> now, actually, you're on to something here. <laughs> we all, Or we could have one where we just, the two of us type to each other. Just the sound of us typing. <laughs> Without sharing the messages. And then occasionally giggling. Yeah, and, and then typing a bit more. And one of us at the other end going, you can't say that. You can't say that, exactly. Yes. <laughs> not about him. No, no. And everyone will know what we're on about. No, not again. Uh, and um, everybody was also quite concerned about Vera's back. Yes. Well, she, I, I mean, Vera's become a legend, hasn't mm. she? And, and she wasn't necessarily called Vera. That was just the first name I thought of. Well, that was going to be a question because I'd not heard Vera be mentioned. No, I made her up. Did you? <laughs> so we don't even know what she was called. It's a bit like Cinderella. Well, she had that kind of... She had a certain Vera... Vera-ness. A Vera vibe? <laughs> yeah, she had... She'd got Vera written all over her, really, didn't she? Vera vibe sounds like one of those sound things you would have had in the 60s. You know when things were filmed in, in you know, Panavision and... Oh yeah, you know it might have been sound recorded in Vera vibe. Yeah, yeah, or a guitar effect pedal. I bet I bet Rothers has got one. Know, I bet one Rothers has got a Vera vibe. Only Jimi Hendrix ever had one. They only made four. You know, everybody's been trying to get that sound ever since. Yeah. But it was a Vera vibe yeah. pedal, and you can't get them you can, anymore. You can't you can't get that sound without a Vera vibe. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Did you enjoy Sheffield? Yes. Yeah, I did. I thought it was a good room. Uh, I thought I thought I sang really well for about four-fifths of it and then, and then flagged. <laughs> I think I shot my bolt early. Um, in the last sort of two or three songs, I just didn't quite have what I had at the beginning. Which is, um, that doesn't happen much. Uh, but it did happen at Sheffield. I felt I just felt I'd lost a little bit of, of you know, umph, umph yeah, and mm. a, a bit of range and a bit of umph by the end. But you know, it was serviceable. Oh, I and thought I, it was great. I thought it was I great. Enjoy, I enjoyed when I meet God. Yes, which we've we've only played that once so far on the tour, and you don't play it that often, do you? No, I'll tell you why. Because it's usually rubbish. Uh-huh. Um, and we've, we've, you know, with uh, with the recent developments in the technology with the Disableton system, um, it's it, credit it, it, John Darms. Sorry, it works, carry on. It works a bit better. Um, and having Lewis aboard to glue the whole, uh, it's it's just a bit of a lumpy groove because mm. Megan, in, when we recorded it, insisted on this certain bumped. Bump, bump, bump thing, um, which if everybody isn't right on it and it isn't all properly glued together, it just sounds like a band falling down a flight of stairs. And we we've we've struggled just a little bit with it, 
and rather than persevere and persist, which which would have been um, a bit like work. Yeah, the professional uh, thing to do. The professional thing to do. Uh, I think uh, I think Ian went fuck this for a lark, and that was the end of it. Uh, but what would the disabledton and the Lewis Jardimness, Lewis Jam Jardim, um, to quote the breakfast version, which is my current favourite. Um, that it all sort of locks together better, so I enjoyed it. I don't think it's ever sounded better than that. Um, you know, not live anyway. Enjoyed no, it sounded it. Fa- and it was a real surprise. Yeah, we'll do it again in Europe. It's just that after Sheffield, we'd only got Brighton and Hammersmith, and we and we decided that we would whatever we were going to do in Hammersmith. Hang on a bit, my mic's sagging. This new SM7 was a gift from a friend of mine. Yeah. Did well there, didn't you? <clears throat> I did. I did, but I don't have my booms up to it. No. Pardon the expression. No. Well, it's it's got some girth, hasn't it? It sags. My boom sags, and then mm. I have to go down with it slowly. So, um, it's all boom saggy. Boom saggy, <laughs> boom saggy, boom. What was I on about? I so haven't we'll got do a clue. It. Yeah, that's right. So we said whatever we're going to do in Hammersmith, we'd better do it in Brighton. So Brighton becomes a sort of um, <clears throat> production rehearsal for Hammersmith, so as not to get it wrong. Um, and so then, then we thought, oh well, we'll just do the New Kings, and we won't do when I'm God and blah blah blah. So we ended up only playing it once, but we'll do it in Europe, I think. Maybe we'll do Quartz as well. Ooh, that could be quite cool with Lewis Ooh. tapping Ooh, along would be great and shaking with, with Lewis. So we've got that on the uh, in the back of our mind, in our back pocket, for uh, for Europe. I'm trying to think what else you played in Sheffield instead of the new. We got two extra instead of the new we Kings. We played trying... Power, Power, well. Power. <clears throat> oh, your Sue was very pleased about that. She likes that. Does she? Mm. Uh, yeah, she's uh, she's a top girl. Mm. Top girl. She's really. Shit hot with the law, you know, and all of that. So whenever anybody crosses me, mm. I, she's my attack dog. I just write them a stiff letter and frighten them to death, our Sue. So she does. Without prejudice. Once you get a letter that says without prejudice, you're fucked, top, aren't you? That focuses your mind. Yeah, it does. Yeah, uh, but no, very good. Sheffield was great. Uh, you did say that when we were we were chatting. We were chatting outside the disabled lav after the gig, uh, oh, yeah. and you did say you'd lost a bit of umph. I, I can't say I noticed it, but you know, well, it's just my shit. I have all of this shit goes on in my head during shows, and it's very rare that anyone else, inside or outside the band, notices. Mm. So you know, I'm, 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 I'm. Trying to attain things that probably people wouldn't... Well, they wouldn't know whether I hit or missed in that attainment, maybe. They might feel it. You know, if it's spot on, you'd feel it. You'd go, oof, he's on tonight, isn't he? Um, So I'm just after stuff that... Some of which could be neurosis. Oh, I'm sure a lot of it will be. Yeah. Well, that's the art for you. 
And you, here's the thing. So you said that you thought Sierra Leone on that night was the best you've ever played it. Oh, did I? Mm, said that. You, you turned around beaming to everybody and said, I think that's the best we have ever played that. Mm. Actually, not to the audience, to the band. Yeah, um, well, to the, the rest audience of the band. don't matter. No, no, no. no, no. <laughs> but here's the thing. So yeah. have I told you that I, I run, my running mix ever since it came out has been the new album? Uh, I think you might have mentioned that once. Yeah, so it's on. It's kind of downloaded to my watch, and then I, and then I get it piped into my AirPods, and that, and I listen to it, and I'm out running. But I've never had Sierra Leone on it, right? Because that was the track that didn't quite click, right? And it's absolutely clicked this last few weeks, yeah. and particularly after the live shows, and it's now on my running mix. Yeah. It's not very good in terms of. You know, it's tempo not, management. Not a running song, really. It's not a running it? song at it's all. It's more of a lie. It's, well, sleeping in the white sand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's not a running notion, is it? Yeah, no, I've just had to the fact a little sit down in the middle of my runs now. Yeah, you have to say, a little lie down. A little lie down. <laughs> it's working really well. I'm quite, I'm kind of enjoying it. I'm getting prodded by the odd passerby, but what the hell? <laughs> that poor man. He's collapsed. <laughs> He's oh, no, collapsed. He's just listening to a bit of music. Anyway. Anyway, determined mm. today that we're going to finish off talking about the Dryland album. Oh, right. Determined, right? Right. So you're focused. I'm going to do my best. Right. So a little bit of a recap. I think we've only got three to go, I think, actually. I think I got my, my sums wrong, but let's let's have a, a quick look. I think mm. we, so far, we have talked about Working Girl, All the Time mm. in the World, Dryland, mm. Games in Germany, India, the Rainbow Room, and Lost at Sea. I think we've talked about all of those. Yes, that's right. Which leaves us three left, but I'm also going to pick on one of the non-album tracks because we've kind of talked a little bit about Simon's Car. So I'm going to I'm going to pick on one of the non-album tracks as well to talk about to make four. So we'll start with track number eight, In the City. Yes. That's the one with the funny groove. I couldn't get any of the drummers to do it. We had all, all sorts of people in at one point um, trying to, to have a go at that groove. I think even uh, the now famous Gavin Harrison probably had a knock through that. And it, 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 it is a strange groove. It's a strange drum part to ask a drummer to play. It's not the kind of thing they normally play because bump cat Um, it's like it's not really like a dub groove, although it is slightly sort of reggified, but it isn't either. Um, God knows where I made that up, but um, the only drummer that could really get a feel on that was was George Jackson. Um, and I've been googling George Jackson, and I cannot find him anywhere, so I don't know where he went. Um, he doesn't seem to have an online presence. Um, but he did have a great feel, and he was the only person who could really nail that. I think Aaron Amun, who also played live with us, he um, he kind of had it down as well. Um, but George Jackson really had it down, and and it was him who played it on the recording, I believe. And it's just um, it's just a whimsical little song about. Having a girlfriend on another, on the other side of the world, you know, in another city, 
and you know arriving there unexpectedly and knocking on the door going hey i'm here what are you doing that's all um so about a it's a sort of a romantic notion of um of of being in love with somebody on the other side of the world um even in another life possibly you know I used to have a lot of those romantic notions when I was really young. And a lot yeah. at the time of this record as well. Yeah, I guess it's because I'd been, tra- been travelling a lot, you know, with the Euros and uh, formed a lot of those notions, not necessarily based on anything real, but, you know, of, but feelings of, of, of you know, travelling and what, what could be when you're traveling or what what might might not have been um and seeing other people's lives as well you know i mean a lot of what i've written in the first in the first person over the years about me uh quite a lot has been about things i've seen in other people rather than necessarily my own experience so, you know, you can, I mean, I'm sitting here now looking at the village green and people go by and, you know, I've got the kind of brain that I go, oh, that's probably a spy, that one. That's probably Mossad. You know, that one's probably on the way to meet that one in a cafe in Paris later on. So, yeah, you get all of the, I get all of these little notions uh, kicking off in my head. <laughs> Does nobody ever walk past and you go, oh, plaster of that <laughs> they're normally fairly easy to spot actually they're usually covered in white powder <laughs> <laughs> or or a drug dealer yeah. yeah one or the other oh god lewis tell me a great story can i go public with that i don't know i can't no i'll, I'll get put on no oh man tell me a great drug story but i can't really go public no no you can't <laughs> do that you've got so many because the only drugs that Lewis takes will be something for slight arthritis. Oh no, they weren't. They weren't drugs he was taking. They were dr- drugs he ended up ca- ended up carrying. I'll tell you about it later. All right, <laughs> tell me about tell me about it later. I can't wait to get Lewis on. He could have been put. He could have been behind bars right now, um, but for a little bit of luck. You could yeah, say that about a lot of people. <laughs> it's true. Certainly, my a lot of ex prime ministers, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh man! Oh, what a week! Don't get what me started. Don't get me started. <laughs> what a first week at work for Liz. Oh dear! <laughs> As if it couldn't get any worse. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Um, man, it must make you feel powerful when you realise you've you've <laughs> you're you've just one decision away from crashing the entire country's economy. <laughs> <laughs> that would give you a feeling of I've definitely got influence, you'd think. Yeah, I mean I you know, I'd like to think if I had that amount of influence I'd do something positive, but you know, maybe I'm I wonder just... what she'll do next week. She'll probably issue a statement that starts World War Three. <laughs> I read on the front and the front page of the business section of the Times yesterday, Sunday Times yesterday, that that that, that Monday, Tuesday 
and everything going on with the bond market will ultimately cost the taxpayer about 25 billion quid. Mm. That's a good first week, isn't it? Yeah, lovely. God bless her. If she'd said nothing, we'd have been 25 billion quid richer. Hmm. Or met with an untimely accident. Not that I would wish that on her. No, not at all. (coughs) Not at all. Or any of them. Anyway. Right then. So, now see, next track, I think, I don't know, for me, he's a real, real sort of linchpin bedrock of the album. And I know probably that's because you play it quite often um, on the H Natural shows, but Working Town. That might be the best song on the album, although I certainly didn't realise it at the time. Um, It might be my favourite because it's sort of very infused, you know, with with my dad and where I grew up and what happened to the north of England, you know, in the 80s and all the mines closing down and Margaret Thatcher and Arthur Scargill's standoff. Um, We both both lived through that, very close to that, didn't we? Well, yeah, my mum and dad lived in Armthorpe where the... Where it all kicked off, where the riots kicked off, and everything. So we we were extremely close to all of it, and you know, you and I lived through Aberfan as well. You know, yeah. that, that, that that tragedy, which were all mining related. I mean, um, I I was on the North Knots mine scene, which but then with a family from Sheffield, so of course that was a, a hot spot as well because because the, the Nottinghamshire miners actually broke the picket line. And went yeah. back and went to work. So yeah, well, that series Sherwood was all about that, wasn't mm. it? And then, yeah, that's an amazing series. Um, but yeah, it's just um, a whimsical, sad little song about going back to Doncaster and seeing the the grass growing where the where the factories stood, you know, through the concrete, um, and the. Um, the slag heaps, you know, that that are now green hills or have got mm. housing estates on them. Ah, oh, Sue lives on what was a slag heap now. Um, and uh, I mean, she's got a house. She doesn't live on, <laughs> you know, in it <laughs> in a box or anything. It's not a tent on the top of a green hill, is it? <laughs> but she does, and. Um, and it's it's just a lovely it's it's lovely musically, the sounds are great. It's well recorded, you know what what Colin did on guitar is beautiful, um, and it's sort of my favourite moment in the record. I think now, um, and I I think it's the most it's the most timeless song on yeah. the record. It isn't rooted in the 80s like the rest of it. You know, you hear it and you go, oh, it's very 80s. And, um, but Working Town somehow floats above all of that. And it's got a nice tune. Um, so it's my favourite. And it's just about going going back to the place where you grew up. And, and that shock that everything is so much smaller. Because when you grew, when you were small, it was all bigger. It was your world. 
That was your world. But I mean, physically smaller as well. Yeah, yeah. You know, everything you think, oh, I remember this street 10 times as long as this. And it's. <laughs> it's and the houses absolutely... that you thought were like mansions, and you drive past and you go, that just doesn't seem. Yeah, it's like... funny, isn't it? Like you've, like you're, you're, you're physically grown, your body's bigger, and your, I guess your head and your consciousness has grown. And everything, as you say, what what was once your world is now just a little, you know, a, a little detail on your world, and everything's shrunk. So, I think I make that point. It all seems much smaller than I realised. Plus, I guess it's not that. Pl- I mean, of course, the place you go back to has changed, but it's you. You know, you've changed far more because of what you've been exposed to. Yeah, I certainly have. Yeah. Um, I'm, I've been all over the place, you know, and seen the world and had a great many completely mental experiences, you know. When you juxtapose growing up in a council house in Doncaster with Neil Armstrong buying your lunch, you've gone a long way you know you know you're in another place then in your in your you know being found from the international space station <laughs> you know then you go back and you go boom <laughs> so i yeah i've changed a lot um everybody's so different i haven't changed yeah well that's a great line uh, but i suppose i have changed um and if, you know, if I hadn't, it'd be a miracle. I'm 66, for God's sake. But, um, yeah, that, that song encapsulates all of those things, you know, returning to that little world you grew up in and realising it's gone and the tinge of sadness for, you know, for what it's become, even though that's a romantic notion as well because... It is all, always sad when an industry dies, but it wasn't particularly great having to go down a coal mine every day. No. It's not like you can romanticise, oh, the good old days when we, <laughs> when we used to go down a mine. No. no it... So, the, you know, you've got mixed feelings, really, for all of it. And you could say the same about the steel mills, or you could, you know, there was so much around there that you would have looked and gone, yeah, they, they weren't pleasant places to be, they weren't pleasant places to work, and they're very dangerous places to work. I was but- taken to a steel factory uh, when I was at college just to go and have a look, and it was the nearest in real life I've ever come to a vision of hell. Hmm. It was hell. It was filthy. It was hot. The noise was unbearable. It was fucking dangerous. You know, it felt dangerous just visiting, let alone getting involved. Um, and then the the thought of having to go to a place like that every day, it was like going down into hell. Mm. So, I mean, the cutlery end was probably quite nice, you know, <laughs> but, but that, you know... The Bessemer converters and all of that, you know, when they were pouring molten, tons of molten metal from one place to another and the heat would hit your, the skin of your face, you know. And people would probably have been constantly having very serious accidents. Um, 
scary stuff. Sorry, what were you going to say? Well, all I was going to say was that I think that nobody particularly liked working in those environments, but at the end of the day, they were central and pivotal to the community. And when they were taken away, when there was that, that wasn't a gentle plan to 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 work into something different, to take that community on a different journey and have different jobs. That those communities were just closed off for ten, twenty years. Yeah, um, and that's the bit that you know. I think is unforgivable. If there's an unforgivable side of Thatcherism, it was throwing a, de- a generation on the scrap heap with no plan of what to do with them next. Um, yeah, well, it, it was that same mistake that, that our current government are making, which is which is if it makes money, it's good, and if it doesn't, it's bad, and it's it's that black and white. And if people have to become homeless, um. Never mind, you know. If 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 entire communities end up ruined and suicidal, well, never mind. You know, because we're all sitting here in Westminster, and we know the importance of making a quick a quick fiver. Um, yeah, bet bet against the pound. That's the quickest way of doing it at the moment. Short the pound on a Friday. That does well. Yeah. Mm. It what's also interesting about that song is it's a really poignant lyric for that point in your life to write. It might have been something you might have expected you to have written ten or fifteen years later. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. Because it's still you know, it's it's a remarkably poignant song when you play it. Yeah, it's my favourite. I think that and Dry Land, I think, are the two. So maybe the two high points. All so right. let's finish off with something that's clearly not the high point, then. Games in Germany is a good song. Yeah. yeah. The Beat in the Heart of the City, is that it? Yeah, that's beat it. in the Heart. Well, John Lennon did an album cover, which I, th- which I wished I'd done in a way for, for this, if I'd thought of it. I think I did think of it. I just didn't think of getting it, getting the photograph taken. He he did uh, which which song was it where he did the photograph of him with the stethoscope and then he's listening to the he's listening to the ground. Oh, good grief! You know the one. He's I, crouched I, down. He's got a stethoscope round his neck and he's listening to the he's listening to the the street in New York. And that is really what that song's about. Although I think I did that before that. It's about, you know, the, I'm looking for a beat in the heart of the city. Um, so it's a, obviously a double entendre on on beat, you know, beat as in a beat groove and beat as in a beating heart mm. and looking for some kind of empathy in a city because cities can be very cold places. Um, looking for a soul in the bones of the street. So that song is simply about trying to find a kind of love with a small L uh, in, in a big city and how hard that can be. 
And I don't mean love in the romantic sense. I mean, you know, a sense of the human spirit. When you can feel the pulse of a place, it's it, it's far easier to fall in love with it or to associate yourself with it in that way. Because yeah. it, there's a definite sense of that. Yeah. Well, that's really what it's saying. Mm. I get that. I get that. There's certain places that I go to and they just... I, I think like we've talked about it before. Glasgow, to me, has it. It's yeah. just there. Liverpool has it. You know. Um, and 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 then you go places and you just there's just no sense of it. Hmm. Um, yeah, Manhattan yeah. has it. Rio de Janeiro yeah. has it. Um, should we go for a bit of diary? Because I'm going to ask you a question about one more song after we've after we've gone to diary. Yes, yes, I think I'm off to Praia de Mira. You are. It's mm. a real. I've read it this morning. I've read it twice actually this morning. Right. Because uh, I was transfixed by Z, Z, and potentially Z if there was a younger one. Well, there's Zay. Oh, Zay. Zay and Zay Zay. Yeah. Uh, Zay was the old fella. One of the most amazing people I've ever met. Um, just amazing. And that comes over, by the way, massively in the in the piece. Yeah, just an incredible old fella. Mm. Uh, with that very rare combination of wealth and almost boundless generosity, and they they very rarely go together, <laughs> those two things. <laughs> but Zane's just extraordinary, and uh, I think he's still alive. Um, it was a while back, and he was an old fella then. But yeah, what a lovely bloke! Mm. It's a really lovely day. This really mm. lovely day. And and it's a and it, I th- I thought it was beautifully and evocatively written. Well, thank you. Um, I'll read it out then. Go on then. Here it comes. Saturday, twenty ninth of July, Praia de Mira. MS Club, H Natural. Slept fitfully, worrying about Sophie. I had the feeling she wasn't all right after the strange text from late last night. We got up around 12 and ordered coffee and orange juice on room service. I called Lucy to ask her to have a word with Edgar about lunch today. Last night, Edgar had suddenly announced that lunch has been arranged in my honour today with God knows how many guests, 30 or so, including members of the Portuguese fan club staff, a Marillion tribute band, and friends and family of Zezé, the promoter and club owner. I didn't really want to sit down to eat with 30 assorted fans and tribute band members. All very nice people, of course, but I need peace and space on gig days. I also need to rest my voice. Lucy said not to worry, and she'd sort it all out. Outside, it was sunny and hot, so Lynetta and I sunbathed on the huge terrace for a while. Texted Sophie a couple of times during the morning, but heard nothing back from her. I hope she's all right. I decided to take the big orange suitcase to the gig so that I could take my clothes, headphones and bits of gear all in one bag like I'd done in Mallorca. 
Roderick showed up around one and joined us for coffee on the terrace. We'd arranged to meet Edgar at one thirty in reception, so we made our way down there and hung around the pool area until Edgar finally showed up at 2.15. He said they were having trouble at the gig, getting the piano up the stairs, the legs had to be removed, etc. Thankfully, this is not my problem. I remember all too well a time when it would have been. Edgar drove us to the farm, which Zeze, club owner and promoter, uses as a weekend retreat. It's actually owned by Zay, his father, and this is the place where the expansive lunch, the one I'd cancelled, had been arranged. When we got there and swung into the drive through the big double gates, there were expensive cars parked in the courtyard and a couple of guys lounging around outside in dark glasses. The grounds were very well kept and there were fig trees, fruit trees, a vineyard and palm trees in plenty. To be honest, it looked like the home of a drug baron from some Hollywood movie. There was a slight delay while they decided where Edgar should put his car and eventually an electric garage door hummed open and we drove inside to an area full of inflatable holiday paraphernalia and a couple more sports cars, an Audi TT and a Merck SLK. We were led inside to the dining room stroke kitchen. The large rustic kitchen area was at one end of a huge dining room where a long table was already set for about 30 people. When I say set, I mean immaculately so. Fine glassware, cotton napkins and silver cutlery gleaming away into the distance. I suddenly felt especially guilty at having earlier cancelled the party. They'd obviously gone to a lot of trouble. Masses of food had been prepared. There were now only four of us, plus half a dozen members of Zeze's family and friends, to consume nothing short of a banquet. When I cancelled it all, I didn't really understand quite what I was cancelling. What a fucking diva they must think I am. Oh well. We were invited to inspect the oven, a small cave built into the brickwork, all full of upturned roof tiles. In each tile lay a sardine grilling above charcoal. Beyond those were potatoes, small ones, still with the skin on. It all looked very traditional and very appetising. I was introduced to various family members and tried desperately to remember the names. One chap runs a vineyard and his own sparkling wine was being opened along with a couple of his white wines. I declined all in favour of beer. I have to sing today so I'll leave the wine alone. We sat down at the long table and course after course of seafood arrived washed down with beer and wine. I was introduced to Zeze's father, Zay, which led me to wonder if Zeze's son would be called Zeze. Zay owns this lot and is therefore something of the godfather around here, but you'd never have guessed from his demeanour. He's modest, friendly and relaxed with a warm twinkle in his eye. I was later to learn that Zay is in the jewellery business. He seems to be completely loaded and he is that rare person, a rich man with innate generosity and generosity of spirit. Everyone here seemed to genuinely love him and was totally relaxed around him. I too quickly grew to admire him immensely. There were uniformed staff on hand to serve the lunch, 
but everyone in the family, including the old man and his wife, Clarice, seemed to lend a hand and take pride in the act of preparing and serving up the food. It was actually quite difficult to stop them from feeding me until I couldn't move, and they would have been perfectly content to give us drinks until we couldn't stand up either. No one seemed remotely aware that I have a show tonight, despite the fact that they're promoting it. When lunch was finally drawing to a close, with me by this stage constantly nervously checking my watch, it was suggested that we make a quick guided tour of the farm. We walked down through gardens of flowers, fruit and vegetables, and watched young goats being fed milk from a bottle. Zay proudly showed us the cockerels which had been castrated in order for them to grow fat and round. Then through the pig house to a stable where a large Frisian bull stood, and back out into the Portuguese sunshine to walk past a white horse. Then past an immaculate swimming pool where children were playing. An actual paradise in every detail. Then on to Clarice's museum, a little barn which had been done out like a farmhouse from the last century. Old cooking implements and hand tools, a table set with old crockery and cutlery, and lastly a working still where she distills her own moonshine. What a place! We watched while Ricardo, Zezé's brother, and his mother hand-turned a machine which removes the corn from maize husks. By this time I was visibly twitching with the need to get to the venue and sound check, and more importantly, rehearse for tonight's show. I hadn't really managed any rehearsal for this one so far, and was relying heavily on the songs having been retained since Mallorca two weeks ago in my unreliable memory. I thanked everyone profusely for lunch and the tour of the farm, and we then drove out of the farm and to the gig, but not without making a detour to a little music shop to borrow a piano stool. Edgar had forgot to hire one. I sat in the back of Zezé's Merc and twitched my way impatiently to the gig, the MS Club. When we arrived there, a phone call was made to the police to ensure Zezé could park his car on the pavement. He knows the police. They come to his club when they're not working. And everyone disappeared into the gig while I called Diz to see if Sophie was okay. She told me that Sophie had everything stolen last night. Her mobile phone and purse containing her driver's licence and all her money, whilst at WOMAD Festival. Oh well, teenagers... I have already replaced her driving licence once after she said she'd lost it. She's a chip off the old block, so I can't really moan. I was relieved to know she's okay, very relieved. Now I can get on with the gig. Went inside the club to find a team of guys debating which way to position the piano. They've been doing this now for four hours. I climbed on stage and hauled the thing round myself into position and began rehearsing while much more debate continued as to whether another stage was required. I said, no thanks, it was absolutely fine. So Zezé ordered another one immediately. When it arrived in a van with another load of chaps to set it up, I had to refuse it about six times before they all sheepishly went away again. Lynetta wisely went for a walk around Pryor while I rehearsed for the rest of the afternoon and evening. 
It all sounded pretty good in the headphones until Roderick turned the PA on. Then the spill from the back of the bass cabinets annihilated my can sound and made the piano sound not so much like someone playing the piano, but more like someone building a piano. Damn. It was all going so well. Roderick fought with the equipment for a few hours, but to little avail. We just had to cross our fingers and hope it would sound better with people in the room. At 8.30 I was still rehearsing and was pretty weary and quite stressed. I'd been quietly worrying about Sophie all day long and now the relief of knowing she was alright was somehow exhausting, along with the stress of the approaching show and worries over the sound. I couldn't seem to get any of the chords right. I was shown into a dressing room, which was a small WC and shower behind the bar. Well, you can't expect discos to have a dressing room. I sat on the floor, trying to calm down and relax for half an hour before the show. Lynetta returned and took me outside to walk along the sea. I hadn't really noticed the ocean yet, and it was good to have a complete change of scenery. This is the Atlantic coast, and the sea is so much wilder than a couple of weeks ago when we were in Mediterranean Majorca. We watched and listened to the waves crashing onto the wide and long sandy beach at Praia de Mira. There was a slight sea mist which gave a spookiness to the scene too. Quite lovely. We found a bar and had a beer, whereupon Lynetta said we must wait for a surprise. Oh God, I don't like surprises. After a while, Edgar showed up with a glint in his eye, and then a police car drew up outside the bar. It seemed to be escorting a horse and carriage. We were beckoned forward to the carriage, and Edgar said, You like goofy stuff, don't you? Get inside and wave to the people. So we climbed up and the carriage drove around the town behind the police car with the lights going round while I waved my best queen wave to the passers-by. I was amazed how many people smiled and waved back despite not having a clue who we were. In England they'd have thrown stuff at me, quite deservedly too, but here people seem to give you the benefit of the doubt. It was a dumb and silly thing to have arranged, but it was brilliant and strangely put me in exactly the right frame of mind for the show. By the time I walked on stage, I was quietly in love with the good people of Praia de Mira. The club was now busy and the reception was very warm from the people. My sound was still a bit difficult to work with, but it didn't seem to matter. The vibe was fantastic. I had decided not to read too much from the diary, mindful of the language barrier. My Portuguese ain't great. But at the halfway point of the show, the crowd began shouting for a day from the diary. So I read the fateful London to Mexico via Bangor, Washington, Chicago and Cat Stevens 40-hour marathon journey from 2004. It took ages to read out and I kept offering to stop, but the people seemed happy to hear it all. I must have talked for the best part of half an hour before resuming the music. I was really enjoying myself by now. The most memorable moment was Three Minute Boy, when the crowd sang louder than any crowd I've heard on this tour. This one was right up there with Liverpool, my previous favourite. After the show, I decompressed in my loo dressing room, and Lynetta came by to give me a congratulatory hug. 
We waited a little while before I ventured outside. The bar staff were great, sorting me out with a caipirinha and a couple of fantastic tuna sandwiches, which were very welcome. I hadn't eaten since lunch on the farm, and it was now 1.30am. I signed a lot of autographs and live spirit body albums. Some guy bought five copies. Zayzay invited us upstairs where he opened a bottle of vintage port and shared it out to all assembled. It was very good. The Portuguese seemed to set great store by their hospitality and we were invited back to Zay's farm for lunch tomorrow. I now realised that Zay and his entire family were at the gig and they all seemed to have enjoyed it immensely. The old man came and shook my hand and as he explained in Portuguese how much he enjoyed the show, his eyes filled up with tears. What an incredible and beautiful old man. I think we finally got out of there around 3.30. An amazing day. And we're back! Yeah. We've just been talking about conkers. We have. We started on. We started on about Yoko Ono being Japanese royalty, didn't we? And then yeah. we got on to Conkers. We started. <laughs> started about Yoko, and then we got to Conkers. <laughs> Plot that journey, in folks. One leap. It was. It wasn't even a leap, was it? Really. <laughs> I wonder if she baked hers. Yeah. Yeah. She probably had them baked for her. Yeah. It's either you were the. It was baking them or vinegar, wasn't it? Yeah, apparently. I don't know if it ever made any difference, but you no. know, it was very important you went through those rituals, wasn't it? I think I'm sure on a couple of occasions I nearly took my hand off with a bradle trying to put a hole in a conker. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It was well, a dangerous I'm, business. Yeah, it was serious business. And you could get you could injure yourself in the physical act oh, of it was a conquering. brutal. Yeah. It was a brutal little game. Yeah, if you got it wrong, it, oh, somebody yeah. at your knuckle. Yeah. Oof. I know. Did you used to carry your collection of conkers around on a single string? Yeah. Hmm? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, my dad used to sort of sort it all out for me. I don't think he liked the idea of me with a bradle. He'd seen no. me he'd seen me with other sharp objects and I think if it had a resurgence, I think Lucy would probably want to get somebody to sort out your conkers as well. I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced you're any more trustworthy with a bradle now. I told you he bought me a marquetry set for my tenth birthday, didn't I? No, did I ever tell you that? No. Oh my god! Worst birthday of my life was my tenth birthday, and my dad took it into his head to buy me a marquetry set, which is basically where you make pictures out of bits of wood out of very fine veneers right it's a bit like painting by numbers except that instead of you know you've got this piece of wood with the drawing on it and all the numbers of the different colors but instead of paint you've got wooden veneers which you cut out to shape with a a scalpel my dad thought that'd be a good present for a 10 year old boy (laughs) um so once I'd got over the initial crushing disappointment, heart-rending crushing disappointment that it wasn't something I could play with, uh, 
I got stuck into it. I dropped the scalpel in my thigh, and it did, actually went, you know, and stood, and I had to be pulled back out. Blood everywhere. Then I cut my left hand open. I've still got a scar on my left hand from the from the uh, the te- uh, you know barely see it now actually but it but it was on my 10th birthday so it's faded away somewhat so uh yeah they'd seen me with a scalpel so i, I think bradles weren't encouraged no. after that i think it was around about 10 when i got one of my best presents at christmas and i got the test match cricket game Ooh. where you could pull the bowler's arm back and, and a ball went down kind of like a half straw and then the batsman, you had a bit of string that you let go of the string, and it made the bat move. And you, you oh, could, you could, uh, and that was fantastic. Oh, I never saw that. Well, I bought one. I bought one, and I was so impressed and so disgusted that I couldn't find it. And then we'd obviously got rid of it. That I bought one recently on eBay. Oh, you could get them. Next, yeah, next time I buy Brown, I'll bring it round, <laughs> and we can have a we can, we can have an hour. It's fantastic. <laughs> it's a very rock and roll image, isn't it, for the yeah, fans? Yeah. Huh? Anton well, H. Playing test mask, t- test. I can't even say it. You can't even Tetchy, say it. Touchy mask cricket. Yeah. <laughs> well, Ron and Keith do exactly the same thing. Yeah. They're, they're Sabutio nuts. That pair. <laughs> anyway, Scrabble. I think it was Charlie and Charlie and Mick playing Scrabble on the floor, and Ron fell into the room covered in blood. That's a great image, that isn't it. <laughs> You'll go. You'll go, Charlie. Charlie just turned around and going, what, what can I do with these? <laughs> I've got, you know, I've got yeah. a Z and 2Ks. What do you expect me to do with that? <laughs> um, we've got one song left to talk about before we finish. Mm. Um, and I'm not going to ask you anything specifically about the diary. I think just the diary is lovely. I looked through it for questions. I thought, do you know what? It's just so lovely. Just leave it. Just leave it. Um, but... The last song I want to talk about, only because I listened to it this morning and then I listened to the Marillion demo version of it, and that's You Don't Need Anyone, mm. which I believe was a B-side. Yeah, I can't remember. I believe it was a B-side, and then Marillion had a crack at it around about the time of the holidays in Eden sessions when you were rediscovering a lot of this stuff obviously because dryland worked its way in and and simon's cars and influence and, and what have you um and he said i think that's a terrific song yeah i think rick armstrong really likes that i think he once told me he really liked it um it's very poppy and it's mm. um it's all based around that um Thing, uh, which is a sort of two-handed piano part, really. Um, and we made a demo of it back then. Uh, I remember Tafe playing the bass, playing an amazing bass line on it. Um, Tafe was from Barry Island, so he, oh, I won't lie to you. Oh, I a beautiful bass player, I won't lie to you. Um, he was an amazing bass player. He is an amazing bass player. Keep saying was like all these characters have been found floating in canals, but they're, they're all still alive and well. <laughs> you walk the line in Barry Island, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I just I um, I remember it having a great bass line, uh, a fairly tricky keyboard part, 
two-handed thing, which was quite an interesting sort of thing. Um, and, a, you know, a relatively meaningless lyric about, uh, about um, you know, looking at another, looking at another girl who you think is, is with a worse partner than you <laughs> and being jealous <laughs> going, you made a bad choice. I'd be better for you than that arsehole. Uh, it's what the song is really saying. Yeah. You ought to have had that in brackets after it. <laughs> These days I would have. <laughs> I, I think he's... I mean, I, I'm with you. I don't think... Lyrically, it's not It's not pushing the envelope, but I think no. as a tune, it's fantastic. Yeah. It's got a big I, chorus. Oh, I it's... it's... <laughs> and, and I actually think the Marillion... I mean, clearly you, you must have spent a bit of time working it up um, I don't know, know how I ever time. persuaded them to go anywhere near it. It's a miracle. Yeah. I would have thought, you know, they'd have just gone, oof, do me a favour. But they clearly must have shown some interest because we, we, yeah, as you say, we must have spent quite a bit of time working it up. Mm. I don't know who would have persuaded them. I don't, I don't imagine I could have. Maybe the manager lent on them a bit to do it. I don't know. Or, or maybe Chris, they just genuinely liked Chris, it. Chris Neal? Would it have been the kind of thing Chris Neal might have liked? I don't think Chris got involved in it, though. Right. I don't it was before seen... Chris appeared? Yeah. Right. It was. So there we are. Maybe it and... was... Uh, maybe it was old... What's his face? Uh, um, Nick Gatfield, our A&R man at EMI. He might have lent on him a bit, because they used to listen to him. He was a good, he was a good bloke, Gatfield. Um... He was the only good A&R man we actually had. Um, there were various ones over the years. And most of them were, you know, chances. But Nick knew what he was doing. And he might well, have lent on them. I'm just searching now. So I'm just doing a, a, a search on Spotify just to see. Right, so the only time it appears on Spotify, and I think a lot of the live albums on Spotify, it, only, it seems to be... Um, on the Holidays Need and Remaster. Right. So not the, the new one, the, the the one back in the day, the double albums back in the day that had a load of B-sides and what have you on. It appears there. Because I was going to ask, do, have you ever played it live? I think we have. I, I thought we you have had. played it live somewhere. I'm, right. But I'm damned if I can remember when and where. I'm going to have to see if I can dig it out, see if I can find out when it was when it was done, whether it was a weekend or... We or might have done it at you. the Moles Club when we when we were the low-fat yogurts. Ah. We might have done it there. Oh, on that subject, I was talking to a chap called Mike Long the other day. Now, Mike Long runs a guitar shop called ATB Guitars, but back in the day, he was a sound engineer and a recording engineer, and he remembers recording you as the life as the low fat yogurts mm. and and he just wanted to say say hello steve i don't think he remembered you that well because he said oh it was the new singer you know the welsh one so i thought i don't think he, he remembered right. you that well was he the guy who had the hair that looked like a sheep because well, he all, might well, all tell I, you what, let me... I wouldn't have said it but now he said i was that welsh singer i feel <laughs> like welsh i should one. slap him back a bit now um uh, <laughs> Well, hang on, you do go into Cod Welsh quite often, <laughs> don't you? Maybe I mean, I was, let's, 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 maybe let's I be a little... Maybe I was a comedy Welshman for the whole of that day that we were working together. 
you know, maybe I was doing a lot of the well, I won't lie to you. Uh, let me right. I've got a picture of him. Hang on, let me show you a picture. Does he look this like is... a ram? Well, do you know what? Now you've said that. <laughs> Now you've said that, there's a little bit to that. Hang on, let me share this. Yeah. Let me share this screen with you. There's one of him. I'm not going to name drop, but there's one no. of him here with Noel Gallagher. Right? Oh, right. So I'll, uh, I'll. Right, where's, where's the Zoom thing? Boom. Where's the share screen? This is happening in real time. This is uh, happening in real and time, folks. Oh, I think that's him. That's Mike Long. And that was the guy I was chatting to the other day, and he remembers recording you as the low-fat yogurts. And you did mention, in between takes, you mentioned about somebody who looked a bit like a ram. I can see it. <laughs> I mean, to be fair to Mike, he looks much less like a ram there than, than I remembered. Uh, so has, maybe, has he gone through his ram phase? It was more at the back, because I was just looking at the back of his head, of course. and He had his back to me most of the time because he was working at the desk. And I remember, th- and he had, his hair was very thick back then. And it doesn't mm. look as thick here, but his, his his hair was very very thick, and you know, I don't know, sheep like. Um, right. well, uh, and so when you said something about recording the low fat yogurts at the malls, I'm thinking I'm, I can't remember anything about that except that the engineer had a passing resemblance to a sheep. Right. So, well, anyway, you don't look like a sheep now, Mike, and no. you can continue to call me Welsh in order to take revenge. <laughs> <laughs> Fair it's enough. A, it's amazing how these things sort of tend to combine a little bit. <laughs> what, Welsh um, and sheep? Yeah. Well, just, just, the, just. <laughs> I, I, I think we need to be a little bit. I think the, I think the Welsh sheep thing's been done. <laughs> well, you just, you know, you said it. Yeah, I, yeah, I was I was being a bit careful, but then actually thinking about it, it's been done. Um, but no, just just Mike Mike being on something I was doing the other day, and then him him dropping, you know, your name in. Yeah, that's definitely him. Yeah, I remember him engineering uh, upstairs at the Malls Club. I do, I do remember well, I'm, that. I'm going to find out if and when you've played it with Marillion, and I'm and I'm now going to put in a request for you don't need anyone at. Um, Port Zealand next year. Well, if you should see Mike again, ask him what happened to the lovely Jan, because it was Jan who used to let me into the club at the, in the small hours for the last half when we were making right. the uh, How We Live album. And she was so lovely. Never stopped laughing, ever. She was one of those people you could say anything to her. Uh, you could say, what could you say? Um, I've developed a cyst, and she would just die laughing. You know, you, there, was, there wasn't something that she wouldn't find funny. Um. <laughs> I'm, I'm. Well, to be fair, I'm pissing myself at the, the, the thought that you've developed a cyst. Well, I was just trying to think of something tragic, but I couldn't. <laughs> That's just. I was as we go through. I always try and listen out for it for an episode title, and I've just, I've just got it now. <laughs> I've developed a cyst. You know, she would laugh at everything. She found everything funny. Oh uh, well, we need I, to get we need to get in touch with her because she needs a dose of this, and she, do, she does. Yeah, she needs to. She, I've been picking her up on TCD now. So. Yeah, yeah I mean, I'm sorry, on the Corona Diaries. Corona Diaries. Yeah. Have you have you noticed that everybody now leaves a comment 
who puts TCD puts sorry Lucy in brackets <laughs> afterwards. <laughs> Such is the fear <laughs> of of annoying Juicy Jordash. <laughs> Juicy Jordash. <laughs> Juicy Jardim. We had that Juicy. as well. But I do yeah, think yeah. Jam Jardim's better. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what was right. the other one? Petit Philuis. Petit Philuis Jardim. <laughs> That's quite good. That's quite good, but it does resort to a foreign language, and I, and I think we have to draw the line. Um, yeah. Yes, because Jambon was in there as well, and that's Jambon was to... very good. Yeah. Louis Jambon. I think that was my sister Sue came up with Louis Jambon. Yeah. But it does take us into a uh, that whole language debate, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah. On the subject of language debate as well, mm. I forgot to mention to you, just and this is kind of me and you talking now, so nobody else needs to listen to this bit. But um, when you messaged and mistyped, and then came back and said, "I sound like the policeman in LOLO," <laughs> and I can't remember what you'd put. No, I can't. Remember. <laughs> but see, when I read it, I thought, "Oh, that sounds like the policeman in LOLO," and you came back within an instant and said, "Oh, I sound like the policeman in LOLO, uh, LOLO don't right. I?" <laughs> God moaning. <laughs> Sorry about that, everybody else. That was just the th- I just came to you on the moment. Anyway, sh- should we wrap this up? Yes, yes. Um, I think we've succeeded in length today. If we've not succeeded in, you know, quality. And, well, we've definitely not conceded in quality. But well, we we have discussed the album. We have. We finished so that off. We, actually, you know, I mean, fair fair play, fair play. Jesus, to you what are we going to talk about next week? Quality. What are we going to talk about next week? Mm. I don't know. I don't know. Well, there's a whole week in politics we could work our oh. way through. Does anyone want to hear that? No, they don't. They don't. <laughs> you need to contact Colin, and we need to make sure we talk to Lewis before we come to before he disappears off into the sunset as well. Okay, I will contact both of those gents and see if I can persuade them on. Lovely. In which case, I'll leave you to. You've got a, a week off, haven't? Not a week off, but you've got a calmer week, haven't you? When do you? When do you? When's the first date in Europe? Yeah, uh, I've got two weeks off, really, because we, we're we back on the bus a week on Saturday um, to drive to Lille in northern France, where we're going to do, do Lille. Um, so I'm looking forward to it already. I really am. I've been really enjoying the shows and bus life. Um, it's been good. It's been good. And our, our bus driver, Charlie, he's a, this enormous scouser uh, with a vicious sense of humour. So he's always fun to be around as well. All right, H. He talks like that all the time. All right, H. And I go, oh, hello, Charlie. How was it? Off sound was sound. You know, that kind of thing. Three people we need to get on. <laughs> Charlie would be great, actually, on the podcast. <laughs> I'll ask him. He wouldn't need a mic by the sounds of things. No, he wouldn't. <laughs> God. Right, I'll see you next time. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. What the hell am I going to do for a Chromecast now? I've to resort to smoke on the water last week, didn't I? Yeah, I I wanted to ask you how you did that. Was 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 there anything in there that we should be concerned about in terms of being sued? All of it. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> I'd say. 
You do know I regularly check my na- my full name is nowhere anywhere in the credits for this. <laughs> well, I change the spelling of my name once once a year for the same reason. <laughs> yeah. There's now no letters left from the original <laughs> spelling, are there? Yeah, I'm thinking of removing the H from H. <laughs> The artist formerly known as H. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Bye then. You don't need anyone Who's always on the phone You don't need anyone Who won't leave you alone You don't need anyone To fill up the holes in your life Tell you what you're needing And make it do what you don't like You don't need anyone To show you where to go Turn you into somebody You wouldn't even want to know You don't need anyone As far as I can see You don't need anyone but me Thank you, Mark Woods Thanks for listening to the Corona Diaries. It featured Steve Hogarth with the insights and me, Ant Short, with the questions. If you enjoyed the podcast, please consider subscribing and maybe leaving a review as this will help others find it. You could even share with other like-minded souls, should the mood take you. This has been an A Short Stories production. <laughs>